0: You have reached a phone call from Paul. A Literary Hub podcast. To hear more, visit LetHub.com. Paul Holden Graber's conversation with Darren Brown.
1: Hello. Hello. Hello Darren. It's such a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for taking my call. Oh,
0: that's okay. No, I'm i uh, so sorry. I was trying to find the quiet um, It
1: it well the the, the phone is, has become a really sound somewhere now. The the phone is is complicated these days. It's become this kind of exotic tool. We we don't speak on the phone very much anymore. Do you? Uh,
0: not as much as uh no, not as much as I used to, particularly at the
1: moment. Yeah, it, it's it's a very... I mean, I think people now rely on other forms of communication, but in a way, uh, this brings me straight to, to to what you do, because what you do is interact with people eye-to-eye, face-to-face, and read, as it were, as if you were a physiognomist, their expression.
0: Well, yeah, that's, that's part of the... That's part of the... Bigger picture, I suppose. Part of the uh, part of what I do is to make make things look clever than they are. Of course, I have to make it all with a with a pinch of salt.
1: Right, a pinch or a grain or a lump of salt. Uh,
0: sometimes a big lump.
1: Sometimes yeah. no salt at all. Uh, I think that but I started off as a hypnotist. So that was my first
0: skill, and then I um, just developed through doing close up sleight of hand magic, that kind of thing. And now what I do is just sort of. Somewhere between the two. So sometimes it's uh, you know a, a magic trick that looks like a psychological thing. Sometimes it's an entire psychological thing that looks like a magic trick, and it just sort of inhabits kind of uh, spectrum, I suppose. And uh, I, hopefully, part of the fun is try to work out. What's,
1: what's what? Well, you know, it's great fun. I, m- I must tell people that the show you have on now, uh, uh, Secret, which is running through the end of, of June 2017 in New York is mesmerizing. It's great fun. And at the same time, it's worrisome and disconcerting.
0: Excellent. That's nice. That's
1: a nice, fun and disconcerting. It, well, it is. It's disconcerting, and I'm I'm wondering if there is an intention on your part as a magician, as a mentalist, and I'd actually be curious to know how, if at all, you define yourself. If there is a a desire on your part to disconcert while entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. I
0: mean, it's. Um when you're putting a theatre show together, I think you, you, you try, or at least I try to create moments that are, um, you know, you wouldn't have in a play, but you also wouldn't have in a magic show. Um, and I try and sort of do something that's, that's unique. And I think being, um, you know, on the one hand, it's a very, it's a fun show. It really is. It's fun. It's maybe more fun than people would imagine if they've just seen the TV shows, which tend to be quite dark. Um, but then you want to have a whole range of experiences, so some of it is uh, a little dark, um, or, or yeah, just dis- disconcerting. Because you uh, yeah, so want to create a whole range of experiences. My starting point is always what is. It's not thing that I do because it happens entirely in the head of the people watching. Um, you know, you can see a play, and if you you might not understand the play, but it doesn't mean the play's failed. It might just mean you've you've, you've missed something. With what I, with with what I do, it doesn't. It has no uh, existence if it doesn't. Uh, land correctly in the heads of the people watching. So my starting point is always this ongoing psychological experience of the audience, and that has to run from, as you said, from the, yeah, from the disconcerting to the to the fun and the upbeat, and you know, you try and create a whole pilot of feelings.
1: I must say, you you brought up the experience of watching you uh, on on a screen. um there is such a qualitative difference between seeing you in the flesh than seeing you on a screen. Um, I think that one of the most extraordinary things that I experienced the night I came to see you was just the level of sheer immersion and attention. You know um, uh, Simo- Simon Veil vale once said that attention is a form of prayer. And I really thought to myself, my goodness, I have really been so much at one with something I've seen. Usually I'm distracted from distraction by distraction. Here I was just sort of mesmerized, which is the right word, I guess, in the co- context of magic. <coughs>
0: oh, that's, that's lovely to hear. I mean, the the i on the news in terms of the audience size is much smaller than i'm used to in in england so it creates a very intimate feel um but even with a larger audience it's by nature it's an intimate show but particularly having a couple of hundred people that i'm working with at the moment in um you know being disabled when i say working with in uh, the atlantic theater makes for a very um personal sort of experience i would i would hope i think it really is sort of it really serves the show its, it's um it, it makes sense that it would be an intimate experience because what i 'm doing is quite a sort of intimate kind of thing you know i'm not making uh, i don't know women disappear in boxes it's,
1: yes no it 's much more like like chamber music than than symphonic in that way
0: yeah yeah so I guess so but i mean oddly it's the same show i'll do the same show for you know two thousand people back home um and it's, when I say the same. I mean, the same sort of thing. I wouldn't really make any changes. Um, maybe my performance level would shift a little bit. It's hard to, to tell. I suppose it naturally would. But um, I think by its nature, it, it just creates an intimate feeling. And I've he- I've had people say that even in very big theatres too. I just think particularly here, and also I think Americans have a, a much more. I don't know what your experience is, as someone that's presumably spent time on on, you know. Atlantic,
1: are you, are you th- saying that based on what you you detect as an accent? Uh, based
0: on, what I, yeah, yeah, yes.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I don't know, but the, um,
1: yes, you're right. I, I've 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 uh, been wandering around the world quite a lot.
0: Hmm. Well, certainly, I, I find in England audiences give you a sort of group response. Whereas here, it's very much a room of individuals that are happy to. Shout out and make the feelings known individually, which is very rewarding. And It means that even doing a show for 200 people feels every bit as, um, lively and vibrant, if not more so, actually, than, uh, than, than, 2,000 back home. So, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's very rewarding on stage as well, that feeling of, of intimacy. The whole thing feels, um, just a very personal, you know, experience, and I'd love to, it lovely to feel people are doing it, you know, it's been something you know, sort of special and something for them and something that they're involved in and part of in a way that you might not expect from, from just seeing a play or, or seeing a magic show or, or whatever.
1: A, a quick question, um, since we were talking about the difference between uh, watching you on a screen and, and seeing you in person. Um, The, the internet and, and social media and all of those kinds of ways of experiencing reality now, perhaps in a mediated way, have played a a rather increasing role in the life of magicians and magic. And I'm wondering, Mm. um, I'm wondering how you, you view that increase, which probably happened just considering your age, um, probably just happened at the moment when magic became Central to your life,
0: absolutely. Well, there was there was, there was a bit of a, um, uh, a kind of a game changing moment in the history of magic on television when people could record things. Just the moment you could freeze frame that, you know, that was a big moment for for, for a conjurer with a TV show because suddenly you know his work could be rewound and dissected, and um, so much of what you work with, um, and this is what, what I share with conjuring magicians is false memory that you are, I talk a lot in the show, right? yes. I'm creating a story, my kind of toolkit about anything is, um, particularly with the sort of stuff that I do, which is different from, you know, conjuring magic, which is maybe more about props and things. What, what I do is very much about the story that people are telling themselves, and um, when things can be dissected and, and, and poured over and, and analysed through... Whatever technology is being used, that does it does naturally change things. I think it's changed a lot. It's much more difficult for a conjuring magician to be secretive now about his methods. Because things can be posted on YouTube. You've got user comments, and through that wonderful kind of wisdom of crowds, any secrets will will come out. I and mean, then you always said these have to be the right ones. That's <laughs> the frustrating thing. any sort of plausible half answer uh, once left upon. Might as well be the real one. Um, so one thing I've Always asked audiences to do to keep the show a secret.
1: Yes, you. The why the
0: show is...
1: Yeah, you do say that at the very beginning of this show.
0: Yeah, and it's people have always done that, and it's um, And there's a few spoilers if people want to search for them, of course. But it makes the show much more fun if you don't know what's coming. But it does also kind of help that sort of exposure side of things as well. I mean, it's less of an issue for me than it is for maybe. a yeah, a, sort of a, a, you know, a physical trick that's happening on stage via sort of illusionist.
1: Well, you know, you know, the, 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 show is called Secret, and I, I'm wondering whether you're, you're familiar with, with the origin of the word secret, which always seemed to me so fascinating. And I think Thomas Jefferson once said that for two people to keep a secret, one has to be dead. Um, the, the notion of secret is so fascinating because the secret already secretes. Uh, a secret used to be, in, in, in its origin, a piece of furniture where you hid in secret, in secret drawers, you hid secret messages, and then it became a person. So you had a secretary. And originally, a secretary was supposed to keep your secrets. Obviously, the meaning has slightly changed. And I'm 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 curious, you know, what what made you want to call this show "secret"? And how important secrecy has been uh, throughout your life? Is it something that that um, you you um, you prize? Mm-hmm.
0: I think, well, as far as the show goes, there's a number of reasons and layers to the role of secrets and secrecy within within the show that kind of makes sense. And to talk too much about that would, would, would actually...
1: Yeah, would, would, uh, would undo the secret.
0: Yeah. Yes, but there's, there's secrets I talk about, there's the secrets of the show, there's the secrets of the audience and, and all sorts of other things. Um, uh, so it kind of made... But apparently also, if you put secret in the title of anything. Yes. <laughs> title apparently it's sold.
1: Of course.
0: It's not like that's why right. yes, if... it's a thing if you put the word secret in it. Yes. Um, uh, but uh, I, it, I, I think in, in real life, one um, I mean, of the things we talk about in the show is coming out. Um, and, you know, if you've spent, as I did, spent, you know, decades uh, nervous, nervous, nervously hiding your sexuality and, and, and probably a bit unsure of it yourself, but that when you do finally come out, that uh, process of realising how little other people care and how how you remember how very different it is from the from the huge deal you imagine it was, is enormously kind of informative and educative that you realise after that that, that really uh, you know, it's that great I think Churchill said that you know, when, you're, when you're 20, you worry about what people say about you. When you're 40, you don't worry about people, what people say about you. When you're 60, you realise no one was talking
1: about you. Yeah, oh, the, God, that's fantastic. That's really... fun. It, it... There's a
0: line, there's a line I'm using this show, I am mean, it's not David Foster Wallace, but it often gets attributed to him. I don't know who said it, but we'd worry a lot less about what other people think of us if we realised how seldom they do. It's such a great one. Um, so I uh, only say that because I think uh, in real life, I'm probably very far removed from either that controlling figure, which I have to be to do what I do, which would be a horrendous way of, of living, um, or too worried about uh, secrecy, there's a certain amount of secrecy that has to go with what I do. But that's really about not wanting to spoil an experience. So there's a great, um, talking of catchy little quotes There's a great line, and I think it was I think it was Robert Houdin, but I might be wrong, it was sort of the, the father of modern magic, saying that, uh, I'm pretty sure I didn't actually now say that, but it was saying that a magician, uh, a magician guards an empty safe. In other words, that all those secrets that they are so precious about are not, <laughs> not guarding them because they're amazing.
1: Wonderful secrets, because they're so disappointing when you you know find out what they are. But that's what you're guarding.
0: Yourself. Well, Obviously, you know, it, it's it, what, what, how, what, how prosaic a method. Yeah,
1: what what it what, <laughs> what it what it, what it brings to mind to me is how little I actually want to know how something is done, Um and it it, yeah. it makes me think. And and I think the 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 bridge between um between magic and, and, and uh, literature is so powerful because I think there is a, there is a desire uh, to be enchanted, there is a desire for fabulation, and there is a desire to be, to be knowingly fooled.
0: Yes, yes, I agree. And I, um, I, from my point of view, I do sometimes... Explore how things work with the audience, but only if that's, if that's more interesting. And one of the, one of the, uh, Dawkins talks about why God is a very bad theory as opposed to evolution being a good theory, in that evolution is a very simple idea that explains a huge amount, sort of explains all of life. But actually, the theory of natural selection is a very simple idea, as opposed to around the other way with something like God, where actually the, the, the questions that it begs once you posit the idea of a god the question begs so many other questions it isn't really not a very efficient uh, theory for life and in a similar way with the magic sort of world and what i with what i do often the because i'm just working with the stories that people are telling themselves i'm just working with an experience and there's a certain amount of Magic technique involved as well, but largely it's just that story that people tell themselves and I often find that the that the the thing that'll make something work will just be a word that I use or just half an idea that's given that people complete the idea for themselves until they've found it for themselves um, and then i don't know you know is that a, is that a stupid secret because it was nothing as opposed to some enormous, elaborate trickery that a magician might use to to achieve. An effect that you maybe don't care about so much. You know, I I, I got into seeing what I do because I found the idea of reading someone's thoughts much more interesting than you know just finding their card or whatever. We naturally, of course, we're going to care much more about something that's about us. But the the um, the techniques are often so so simple, but to me they're very beautiful because they create sometimes effect just with a word or half an idea or a gesture, um, you create some tiny thing that you know then builds and then. You, you lead somebody to a point where they where they've joined up all the dots in the wrong way and then they can't backtrack, um, which is, you know, it's a big it's a big part of uh what I do and what any magician does is you should, you know you create a false memory and you create your stories. But it's a really it's a really interesting world to be in where that's just what you're working. You're working with this very kind of um, ethereal toolkit. Of just hoping that ideas and, and, and creating ideas that would just land in a in a in a in a certain way to create a certain story, and then as, as I sort of thought about this with this show, which was setting out my for the first time for for a new audience, I, I realised that 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 process which happens with magic is also you know a lovely parallel for what happens every life every day in our lives. You know we are navigating this infinite data source and needing to tell ourselves stories needing to reduce and simplify it order just of course you know just to just to move forward
1: and we're and we're trying to so, we're trying to learn that, how to read between the lines and I, i've always wondered you know where else should we be reading but between the lines
0: mm. well in whatever we'll situation to help us but you know in our relationships that's such a useful Thing, isn't it in our dealings with other with other people? You know, when we're I'm a big fan of the Stoics. I wrote a book on um, happiness over the last few years, which was delving a lot into into, into Stoicism. And that's... Really,
1: really, tell me more about that. I, I, I'm I'm afraid to say, Darren, I wasn't aware of that, and I'm a huge ah. huge fan of of Seneca. So tell me. Oh, yeah. I am huge. I mean, Seneca and Montaigne uh, are sort of sen- yeah. central to my to my way of breathing.
0: was <laughs> excellent news. Well, I was reading Montaigne, and that he directed me to Seneca, because I, I, he kept quoting and referring to Seneca, and I had never heard of him. So I stopped this, you know, huge watch of essays about halfway through, and, and um, started reading the Stoics, and... But look right there in the middle of that in this, you know, in um, Marcus Aurelius talks about well, what they all do, they all talk about this idea. Of, um, uh, I love this idea of lowering, lowering your expectations, you know, that our, that our anger that we experience every day happens because we're just telling ourselves a story that is un, just simply unrealistic about how things are, you know, if, if it's takes half an hour longer than you want to get served in the particular restaurant you're in. That's because that's how long it takes in that restaurant. Or, you know, whoever told you that the, the contractor that said that we're gonna complete by, you know, the first of the month was actually gonna complete by the first of the month. Yeah. You know, we, we end up just setting our standards unrealistically high and any anger and frustration we experience isn't, it isn't a sign of how right we are and how wrong the other person is. It's just a sign of how Unrealistically high our expectations. You know,
1: I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure you know this this comic uh, in in America who I deeply admire, Louis C.K. And um, he, he, you do, I would imagine, and he has this wonderful, wonderful skit where he talks about you know being on a on a plane and not being able to get. Yes. And 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 he says, but you're 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 on a plane. I mean, wait a minute. You know, I mean it it used to be the case that people who traveled from New York to LA took three months and most of them were dead by the time they would have arrived. And and it is you know, one thing that that I'm I'm struck by which I don't want to forget is you, you you were mentioning Um, in in some way, I mean, you were mentioning Dawkins, and I think in some way, in a veiled way, you were mentioning atheism. And it seems to me that quite a few magicians go in that direction. And I'm thinking, of course, particularly of Penn and Teller. And I'm wondering Mm. what the connection might be. Um, I've never thought of it really, but I think there, there, there might be a connection. I know that Houdini's father was a rabbi but that may not have made houdini into a religious person
0: yeah i i I think there's two things i think there's something that happens when you become a magician which is you become aware of how psychic readings and ouija boards and and a lot of people charlatans work and do their tricks that happens fairly quickly so you you tend to develop quite a um, a skeptical mindset, which is is a good thing, and if you want to test a um, a psychic or a medium under under test conditions, you're, you're much better off as they tend to using magicians um, to construct that test rather than scientists. Uh, so that's 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 not a bad thing, and I certainly um, went through that journey myself. And I was quite a, a sort of happy, happy Christian, very evangelical, Pentecostal sort of background myself, and then. Um, Magic very much uh, brought me out of that, but, it, but there's another relationship I think which is sort of quite interesting, which is missed I think by uh, by magicians who ironically are sort of the secular wonder workers on um, or part of that the entertainment industry is part of that too. But but the, what what religion probably did very well at one point is to create a feeling of transcendence you know particularly if you're in you know living in living memory of whatever historical event has, you know started a religion then maybe something did happen that really gave people a deep sense of meaning and transcendence and really really you know gave you that experience then as as time moves on and that thing becomes no longer in living memory and you have to now you've got to read you know you've got to do these certain practices to kind of recreate that thing that happened, but then it becomes about beliefs that you have, and then it becomes about a an institution that protects those beliefs, and then becomes political and powerful, and then it becomes a whole different thing. And now you end up with a you know a, a picture of God that's very easy to knock down, and, and you know was was actually it's maybe there's a it was a signpost to something that. You know, it was articulating something that is useful about... You know, we all look for a, some experience of transcendence. That's an important part of being human. Some feeling of meaning. If you don't have meaning, you penetrate yourself off buildings. And that's quite different from, from what's true. Um, likewise, at the same time, over the last few hundred years, we've lost a lot of cultural narratives and myths and stories to live by. So death, for example, now, particularly morbid to we've been a very proudly let go of but. But then you are left, say, when it comes to something like death, but there's no, there is not really a story for people. There is no there is no meaning. So it becomes lonely and scary. And people, if they find themselves in that last part of their lives, often feel sidelined, like they've become cameos in their own, their own story. That one time when you need to be taking real ownership of your narrative and finding some sort of closure, you know, when a, when a book or film finishes that, the ending makes sense of what comes before. That doesn't happen in life unless you find it yourself. So at that one time when you should be encouraged to do that, very often the, you're just a cameo in your own story, and the main part's are against your doctors and your loved ones that are making decisions for you. And the only narrative that is sort of given, offered to people, is that one of the, the brave battles that you're fighting, which of course is not helpful at all to the person. It makes everybody else feel better, but it's just adding another you know, story of failure to this poor person that's, that's dying in the first place. So what happens then is uh, I think people like mediums and that world that you start to veer towards, you know, magic and so on, um, are naturally going to step in and start to offer a kind of a fairly cheap and tawdry veneer of meaning, but at least something, at least some sort of story that is going to be latched onto and is always going to make them very popular. So I think magic Shares it, it. It points to. It hints at you know this sort of feeling of transcendence and, and meaning and there being something bigger and and all that. But of course it does it in such a <laughs> sort of sort of cheap and fairly dishonest way really. But it's not. It's not a comfortable relationship. It, nothing really does that very well anymore.
1: You were you were mentioning um, the, the the Stoics a little bit earlier and how they. How they maybe influenced you in some form of fashion. And also, um, you, you, you now have mentioned certain narratives and you, you, you use that word qu- repeatedly. And I imagine that storytelling, um, is very important to you. And that leads me to a question that both Neil Gaiman and, and I had for you, which is really, you know, what, what are the stories that that truly matter to you, or differently put, what are what are the books you mentioned, uh, Foster Wallace, a moment ago? You you pepper your conversation with references because I think they're probably signposts in your life. What are what are maybe some other signposts? People who who you continue to read to, or who you have discovered, and who in some way shape or matter to you. Goodness, um, well, I I think the the. Stoics
0: over the last few years have been um, a big, uh, uh, they really resonated, you know, with me in the way that those things inspire us, that articulate something that we'd already
1: often were sort of seen. experiencing, but didn't quite have, quite have the language for.
0: Yeah, exactly. So those things tend to really connect with us, that we just hadn't managed to articulate. So the Stoics did make a, uh, uh That was that was quite formative for me reading Seneca, Victor Aurelius, and the, you know, the, there's only a really a handful of them to read. Um, and then I think there's there's a sort of a thing that they don't articulate very well, which I've sort of I guess I've found elsewhere, which is the Stoics are by the nature very much about a robust sense of self and a lot of the language that they use is is, um by nature uh sort of um tense as opposed to the Epicureans that perhaps by the nature more sort of relaxed so you know you are you are a rock in the ocean with the you know with the waves lashing against you you've got soldiers at the at the frontiers of you know, your experience, guarding against disturbance and anxiety and so on. And I think um, wh- you know, th- that's partly uh, very useful sometimes, but there's another thing that Mar- Martha Nussbaum talks about it. I think she, she really sort of gets it, that you, you, know, you, you might want to be a, a rock with the waves r- lashing against you, but you might also want to be a porous rock the water just
1: goes through you oh how you how beach, how utterly how utterly fabulous God. where does she say that Isn't it? she oh God. Oh, don't worry don't worry this is this is a phone call and not an exam the but the fragility I, but, of goodness it's in the fragility of oh what a what a great book and I, i've always adored its title you know, the, the vulnerability, the frailty, the fragility. These are, these are words that speak to, to me deeply. And I'm, I'm wondering in, in that, in that guise, apart from the, the stoics, are there, are there writers or, it doesn't really matter if they're writers or musicians or whatever they may be, creative people who you turn to for, oh, for lack of a better word, inspiration, not a word I love, but still.
0: Yeah. I, well, look. I, in terms of reading, I, I, um, that that, uh, that gap I think left by the Stoics, which is just one of connection with people um, and o- openness and easy um, engagement with people, which is a little—it's not quite their forte, is it? So I, I I like writings by I like writings by psychoanalysts, Irvin um, Yalom. Uh, with his beautiful sort um, vignettes of his. Uh, encounters with his patients uh, as with existential um, psychoanalyst. He calls himself very much in the Freudian tradition. In the Jungian tradition, there's, um, uh, what's his name, James, wrote a great book called the, um, What Matters Most, James Hollis, and another one called Finding Meaning in the Second Half of Life. Really great um, Talking about sort of narratives as well and, and, and stories. Uh, Stephen Gross also G R O S Z has written a, a book in that same vein of vignettes with uh, with patients, and there's something just very humble and, and human about them. Um, I just finished the Eric From classic, um, The Art of Loving, which I which I loved, and uh, so I, I think I find that he goes very well with the Stoics because they sort of complement that kind of. Um, inner robustness is things that, you know, encourage you to look out and find connections in a very you near know, human and humble way. I think it's a nice, a nice thing if you can balance both of those both of those worlds. I also love Louis C.K. I love good comedy that, um, you know, one thing that comedy does well is it gets, it changes, it sort it, it has a therapeutic value that I think the best comics have. They also, in terms of as a performer, and Louis Sigue, you mentioned, is one that does it very well. Balances that thing of being a um, uh, a sage, having something. Uh, George Carlin did it the same. I've oh,
1: George seen. Carlin was oh, extraordinary. Yeah, and, mm. I, I, I once uh, hosted an event um, a, a year after George Carlin died, and he, and Louis C.K. was part of it, and so was Kevin Smith, and so was ben, ben Stiller. But one of the great moments, great moments, Darren, was when his daughter spoke and said, my father was never happier in his entire life than when the nine Supreme Court justices had to repeat again and again the seven words you cannot say on television. Isn't that fantastic? I just loved it. I mean, it was kind of the, the, the revenge of, 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 of seriousness. It's what, what comedy does best. Um, it puts us in a, in a frame of mind. I mean, I'm always reminded of what Saul Bellow said since you were talking about the art of love. He said, we don't love because, but in spite. Um, and in, in so, in so, in so many ways, I mean, uh, comedy helps oil this machinery, which otherwise would become so, so serious. And, and, and serious is important, but taking oneself serious is something I think we should ward and, and be, be careful about, be really careful about.
0: Absolutely. And just to, just to complete what I was saying, because as part of that, I think the, the, what, what the great comics do as performers is balance I think something to say is that being a, a sage on the one hand with being very vulnerable on the other, a lot of it's uh, deflected back against yourself. So you don't feel preached out. You never feel preached out, but it's just sort of, the, you know, the, the, the message is sort of creeping in, the sort of new way of seeing things, creeps in without feeling you're being preached out. And I think that's a hugely um, potent and powerful tool uh, of communication. It's something that in, in my way, when I thought of my own performances, I've tried to sort of, not in terms of the comedy, but just balancing that thing. If you, if you try to say something, you want to affect people to make sure that it's, you know, that you're coming from a vulnerable
1: position. Well, well, sort of, well you know, you right. teach, your, your show, Secret, teaches people without being didactic. I mean, you leave, you leave having felt that you learned something, you're not quite exactly sure what it is. And since you were mentioning psychoanalysis, I'm wondering um, if you have read the work of Adam Phillips. Yes.
0: I have, I have, yeah, I've got a, a you know, on kindness
1: and, um, uh, forgiveness. Is that another one? He, he, yeah. yeah, he has a book called On Kindness and I then, and then he has a book which is, is tremendous called On, on kissing, tickling and being bored. Being bored. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and, and he speaks but so, he, he speaks so interestingly about the notion of appetite, of what it means to have appetite. I, I think it would, it would speak to you quite, quite, uh, quite powerfully in, in, in the, in the guise of all these books you're reading about, about psychoanalysis or so that have a psychoanalytical bend to them. Something, something to discover. Um, in, in closing, um, Darren, I, I'm, I, I very much hope that people that overhear our conversation here come and 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 see if they still can your your show at the Atlantic um, theater called secret it really really is wonderful, and I hope uh, the success of it brings you back uh, to New York again and again and again and again certainly i will I, I will be looking out for you uh constantly um from now on um i'm I'm wondering in in closing um if you had to go back in, in, into your life, uh, what we might call retrospective illumination, um, do you think you, you know what, what caused you to gravitate towards magic and then to move from magic to, to mentalism, to move from mentalism to a certain way of, of, uh, uh, trying perhaps to, to hypnotize, I mean, all of these different moments in your life. I'm, I'm wondering if you, if you know the moment where, for lack of a better word, something happened that changed the course of your life.
0: Well, I saw a hypnotist performing in my first year at university, and I, it was an interesting show. It was intelligent. He had questions and answers afterwards. Uh, nobody was made to look like an idiot, which... Sadly, I've realized since is the flavor of most of those shows. Um, and I came home deciding that's what I was going to do. Um, in terms of why, I think it, it, it sort of, it ticked a lot of insecure boxes I had at that age. It was, you know, the, the, I hadn't really thought about performing, but that made sense in terms of desperately wanting to be the center of attention, um, feelings of control. I mean, hypnosis is, you know, certainly gives you that. And actually the, the very people that tend to respond well to it, particularly at the university setting, are exactly the kind of theory um, lads that, you know, I was intimidated by. So it ticked a lot of boxes at that early age. And then as I grew up and those those things became less of an issue, I think I'd have probably stopped it uh, or done something else. But by that point, the career took off. And I, so I've since then tried to just take it in other places. It's not interesting. Uh, Magicians are, are dramatically quite vapid. I mean, you know, somebody playing the part of a god figure who can just click his fingers and make something happen is not interesting. Um, I mean, hypnosis is not really interesting beyond looking at people do funny things. Um So I wanted to, to take it all into into an area where it would, wouldn't just be about, you know, me looking clever or having, you know, pretending to have some sort of power, uh, but to maybe power in, in some way without being... Sickly about it, or just to just to take it into more resonant areas. That's what I, that's what I'm trying to do. I think that's just a process
1: of, of growing up. You know, I had I had occasion to to once ask David Blaine, who I spoke to, um, what magician had m- most deeply uh, influenced him. I'm, I'm wondering if I asked you that same question, what your answer would be, and then I'll tell you what his predictable answer was. Yeah.
0: Um, Houdini, I imagine, him. Yeah, ab- ab- for him.
1: Ab- absolutely. Um,
0: there was, there was a, a guy called Chan Kanasta, who was around in the 50s and 60s, um, who was a mentalist as well, a, a mind reader. There haven't been that many historically, there's, there's many now, um, but uh, he was he was very inspiring for me, and then in more recent times, um, an English guy, well, I say English, he's in England, but sort of pan-European figure called David Burglass, who just recently celebrated his 90th birthday. Um, There aren't many figures in my kind of field that have really risen to the top and developed, um, you know, real sort of status in that world. Those those are two figures that were influential for me.
1: you know, Darren, it was so interesting for me to hear you say that part of the reason that, that magic spoke to you at an early age was because of, um, a sense of insecurity that you may have had as a child. It sort of reminds me of a, of a cartoon that I've always loved in the New Yorker where you see a man writing in his journal and above it is written low self-esteem. And he writes in his journal, dear journal. I'm sorry to bother you again. <laughs> and yeah. it, you know.
0: Well, ma- magic is great. Magic is the quickest, most fraudulent route to impressing people. So you, you know, you do it because you feel you need to impress. Worse then, and I speak from experience here, you then mistake the ability to impress people for, for making yourself... Likeable, you sort of, you know, you think that you have to impress rather than just simply be be nice and likeable, um, which is why magicians often grow up with a very obvious lack of social skills. They can be quite an odd bunch because it, it becomes a, a, a surrogate for actual, you know, um, just learning how to get on. I mean, I, I wasn't, I wouldn't have been able to sit with a table of people and have a normal conversation without without showing them tricks. Um, and of course, we don't particularly like. People. Well, we don't like people that are trying to impress us, I and mean, it's the least impressive thing. We don't like people that are clever and witty and, and impressive, unless they're also, you know, nice and lovely to be around. So I think you do have to. You have to go through that, but it is absolutely, yeah. It's the first well, you know, you, you, do it you know you want to you, impress. And you, 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 I mean, quite literally, hold something in front of you, and people look at that thing in front of you and go, "That's amazing. You're amazing." You know, you have this. It might just be something you just got out of a. Might be some, you know, uh, trick deck of cards you just bought. And people will look at that thing that you're quite literally hiding behind and tell you that you're, uh, you're amazing. So. Well, you know,
1: it, it, it really, uh, on a literary level, it reminds me so much of a, a short story I, I truly love, one of my very favorite of Chekhov called The Lady with a Lapdog. Because a lapdog in, in a sense connects people because now there is something between a man and a woman in this particular case that they can talk about. And the cards in a way work beautifully as a, as a prompt. I must say that magic has done you well because I don't feel at all, uh, the social awkwardness you were talking about. So you must have, you must have overcome it in one form or another or at least know how to hide it. Beautifully, I will I will leave you with a with a quotation because I think in a in a sense it speaks it speaks uh, uh, I, I think to 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 you in in an important way and I wonder if you have anything to say about it. It's a uh, um, a line by by Dorothy Parker where she says that the cure for boredom is curiosity. There is no cure for curiosity. It reminds me of the
0: Stoic uh, notion of of resisting curiosity in order to avoid further disturbance. <laughs> Which in the world of social media, when people uh, just one click away will uh, tell you what they think of you, often quite uh, unforgivingly. Uh, that that thing of resisting curiosity is something I've learnt uh, the hard way. Because no matter how many nice things you read about yourself, it's you know it's the one nasty comment. But, in your mind. So, right. um yes, I think maybe nowadays more than ever. That's uh that's a good one, isn't it? And uh, it is it it can be its own it can be its own um its own disease, uh, curiosity from the amount of you know
1: I would really not have expected you to take it in this direction, but how great. I mean, this is, this is where it's so, so interesting to talk to people. Adam Phillips says that when we speak to each other, things fall out of our pockets and a lot has fallen out of your pockets. And it's really been, it's been delightful, Darren. And I hope, I hope we meet again. And I hope I see you perform again. And I hope that sometime I, I meet you in person, even off stage.
0: It would be lovely. Should,
1: yes, it would be lovely to uh, see you again. I should be back for Broadway. That's certainly the plan. So oh, how we... excellent! Please, please keep
0: keep, keep or me informed.
1: Please keep me informed. I, I certainly will proselytize. Oh, please do. Well, you're very kind. Thank you.
0: It's been lovely, lovely talking to you.
1: It really has been. Take care, and all the best, and and good luck with the show that that I remind people goes until the end of June of two thousand and seventeen.
0: Thank you so
1: much, Paul. Bye-bye. Criminal Broads is a true crime and history podcast about wild women on the wrong side of the law. And I'm the host, Tori Telfer. I'm a true crime writer who started Criminal Broads after realizing that I was uncovering far too many out of control and terrifying stories about criminal women to fit in a single book. So, if you like stories about female cult leaders, con women, women who undergo seven sessions of plastic surgery to avoid arrest for 14 years and 11 months. Uh, women who hung out with Bonnie and Clyde or serious speculation about the deranged theory that Jack the Ripper was actually a woman, I think you'll like this podcast. Look for Criminal Broads on your favorite podcast listening app or follow along at Instagram.com slash Criminal Broads where I post a lot of photos so you can look deep into the eyes of some of the murderesses we'll be talking about. See you there! Thank you.